My wife and I fall asleep to The Office every single night we have for now it's years. It's a good choice. And it's coming off of Netflix, and we don't want to subscribe to Hulu, so... The Office has the best cold open that's ever been on television, yep. and it's where Jim walks in as Dwight. Yeah, it's incredible. Bears beats yep. Battlestar Galactica. Yep. Wait, <laughs> yeah. Wait, Michael, what are you doing? Yeah. What are you doing right now? Identity theft is a crime. Yeah. Jim. <laughs> Michael? Michael? Michael <laughs> stand up and walk away. One of my favorite lines ever came from The Office, and when Michael goes, would I rather be feared or loved? Both. I want people to fear how much they love me. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> everyone my name is john edwards and with me is jared thatcher and together we make the dad's drinking bourbon wherever you are whatever time it is thank you for making us a part of your day say hello to the folks jared you're kind of sitting in zeke's chair today i'm so nervous i don't know what to do with my hands <laughs> <laughs> well thankfully the microphone you don't have to hold it it's on a stand now i'm worried about moving the microphone it's gonna make a terrible noise like you already warned me it, when you move the microphone it does sound like you're farting <laughs> like that that's the thing is if you move that it's not going to sound good for everyone they're gonna think that a smell accompanied that i can't even say that word accompanied accompanied well it is a great day you actually got in the car with me at six o'clock this morning, Central Time. Yeah, what which time was did really I get in the truck though. Which was really seven o'clock Eastern Time. But I had to leave my damn house at five, or four thirty this morning to get to you because Eastern have an Time. Hour. So you left at three thirty Central. No, I left at four thirty Central. Oh, four thirty Central. Yeah. Oh, yeah man. You're an hour and a half away from me. I know. I used to be a half an hour closer to you. I know. But we uh, we got in the car. We drove. Two hours away down to the great city of Chattanooga, Tennessee, for something that I must say, admittedly, has been about three years in the making, I think, since we've all been talking to each other. And uh, apologies for the long, long delay. But we are sitting with Tim Pearson and John Lawrence, who are two of the, the head honchos here at Chattanooga Whiskey. Tim, you are the owner. John, you handle all of the sales and, and basically sling whiskey for a living, but it is great to have both of you here. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for having us. Thanks for coming down. As you can see already, sorry, we don't take ourselves too seriously. Yeah, neither do we <laughs> at all, as, as you already know. So. I have to say just right off the bat, and, and I don't want people thinking I'm biased or anything, but the vibe at Chattanooga Whiskey that you guys have, like the videos that you guys put on Instagram and just the general branding, I don't know how much of that was put on before I came here today. And then after I came here today, I was like, cause I was, I was like, man, they post cool videos. They seem like cool guys. And you know, Tim will be posting a video playing the guitar while he's on his skateboard. Are you about to say that we're not as cool as we look online? No. I'm, is, that, is that where you're going with this? No, I'm about to say that you are as cool as you look online. Oh, we did. It's, it's this one place of those, is so cool, they thought you were a Subaru dealership. <laughs> <laughs> this morning, a woman walked up to the door, and she thought this place was a Subaru dealership. That's how freaking cool Nothing it says progressive like a bunch of Subarus in our parking lot. Correct. So. It's like business in the front. 
party in the back. Always. Subaru is like one of those things where it's <laughs> well, like. What's are mandatory at Chattanooga Whiskey? Well, no, but a Subaru says something like, hey, I can go off road, but I'm also sensible. Mm-hmm. You know, like I, I like there to go, go up in the mountains, but I'm safe. I've been trying to be a positive influence on John here driving a Subaru for a long time, but mm-hmm. he hasn't come around yet. Well, my last one got stolen, so. That's true. Wait, you had a stolen Subaru? <laughs> I think I'm the only person that's ever had a Subaru stolen. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> It wasn't fun because it was it was a paid off car that I used to sell whiskey in, and then next thing you know, I wake up to go to work and my Subaru's gone. Did you leave whiskey in it? I left a lot of stuff in that in that. Subaru. He hasn't admitted it, but he left his keys in there. I know he did. I had a spare mm-hmm. in there <laughs> yeah. because I travel a lot, and I went to Charleston one time, and I lost my keys, and I was keyless. Hashtag so now, sales guy. Yeah, so I just hide the spare, and uh, it was the first thing they found. He he, <laughs> he hid the spare at his ignition. <laughs> My dad used to have a Toyota Tercel, like a piece of shit, 1980-something Toyota Tercel. And by the time he sold that thing, the the key looked like a toothpick, and you could take it out while driving and, like, hand it back, and we'd be in the back seat like, Dad, take the keys out. Take the keys out. This is the coolest thing ever. You've now moved up to a Volkswagen, though. It's actually my wife's car. Good for her. Yeah, I, I, I drive... Uh, we don't want to get into the saga yeah, of John's that BMW. Is, yeah, I decided it'd be a smart idea to buy a BMW SUV to sell whiskey in. <laughs> and little did I know that uh, BMWs can suck to be a traveling car. <laughs> so I drove my wife's car today because she had a flat tire and I had to go patch it. So, But you know what? You need a car that says... You need like a, a Ford Escape. You need something that's like... <laughs> I feel like Brent should be sitting yeah, here right exactly. now. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You need something that's reliable, that fits fits a lot of whiskey Our in COO it. Our COO just gave John a 10-minute speech on this yesterday. Mm-hmm. So. What about how, like... Being you, practical. Well, I like to ride even, in style. No, but it's not even being practical. Like, you don't want to piss the people off that you're selling the whiskey to. You know what I mean? Like, you don't want to show up at a BMW like, oh, totally. I don't need to buy his whiskey. Yeah. He's, yeah. he's rolling it. You know? You're not like, selling financial services like, man, he, he must do really well. I want him managing my money. No, they roll up and they're like, oh, he's already successful. I don't need to buy his whiskey. <laughs> That's why when I go see accounts, I park behind the building and just walk <laughs> around with a limp and I just walk into the store. They're like, oh, we're just feeding the man. Yeah, no. we, we don't need to give him any more No, money. the BMW limps into the parking lot. And they're yeah. like, oh, poor guy. Man, I'd put that thing <laughs> Hell and back. <laughs> the pity money is still green, so you know if that's the way that's it's going to be sold. I you're drive golden. close to forty thousand miles a year. That number goes up every time you say that. That's true. What about <laughs> it was thirty five? What about if you got a pickup truck for the hauling the whiskey? You could lease another Volkswagen for about two hundred bucks a month, and you could get an old pickup truck that maybe has some more miles on it that you know you're going to put all highway. Miles what are we doing on. here? I don't know. He's, John is talking him into a lease. <laughs> Actually, <laughs> John is our, talking John our, our other, into uh, a Our lease. other sales manager uh, just got a pickup truck, and I told John we do not need allow to. two sales guys. Do you need a new truck. sales manager? Because this John to my left is a pretty good Depends sales what he manager over here. Yeah. I'm, not, I'm not trying to get John Actually, Lawrence this, this, out of a this job. This John has become our, our sales vehicle consultant. Uh, that's, yes. right. That, that's, that's right. right. I mean, if I want to get SBC. consultant money from them, that's one thing, but yeah. I'm not trying to take anyone's job. John's got a leg up on me, but... Let's talk about, you guys have been around for a long time. It's almost one of those things where I, we were talking and, and Tim, I didn't expect you to remember me because at that point I did not have a crappy podcast and, and I was just a fan of whiskey, but I got to meet you up in Nashville. And at the time you guys had just 
changed the law in Hamilton County to be able to distill here. For our listeners that know anything about Tennessee whiskey, they know it's been a county by county basis that even though you know you could distill Jack Daniels and you could distill George Dickel, that the other counties, it was prohibition by county. A lot has been done to change that. Keith Clark was, was pretty integral in that. The guys at Corsair were pretty integral in that, as well as you guys were pretty integral in that in, in Chattanooga and Hamilton County. So I got to meet you then. You guys had been doing 1816, which was your MGP or LDI yeah. release. We, we've gone through that. You guys have some pretty big news today that we are going to get to. But what I want to know a little bit first is what the hell made you decide to open a distillery in the first place? Especially in Tennessee, where you know the odds were stacked against you without being able to distill. Yeah, well, I'm going to let you know a secret. I, I Obviously, I, I did not know that much i've never really known that much i've just kind of started walking and haven't stopped walking forward right and and that's kind of how this thing came about it was the you know discovering the history of whiskey in chattanooga was the i guess the the main point of inspiration but it was a lot more than that it was exciting to start a company with a buddy i was born and raised in chattanooga I graduated Auburn in 04 and moved back uh, to Chattanooga pretty much immediately. Met my wife down there and we moved downtown. I was downtown. I was, I was commuting to Dalton, Georgia every day for nearly eight years. I mean, it's a 45, 50 minute one way commute. And, you know, uh, but, but yet my wife and I were investing our lives in downtown Chattanooga. So my dad's an entrepreneur. I think I have it in my veins. And I just, when uh, discovering that history of whiskey in Chattanooga, it was th- kind of the first time I had this feeling like this could actually be it to uh, to go after and at the time Facebook was hot and it's not like it's not hot anymore but it's but it was but it was hot enough to where they didn't have all these algorithms at least that we knew of right like you post you guys you may remember this but in 2011 if you posted something on Facebook everybody saw it your friends saw it it wasn't filtered it was it was unfiltered and so it was kind of the timing was kind of epic in that in that regard that we were like we had this idea we were like man we let's start a whiskey company we'll be the first whiskey company back in Chattanooga in 100 years when I say I didn't know what I was doing I had no idea it was illegal <laughs> uh, so so it was like well we we both were instantly like well we'll just start Chattanooga whiskey on Facebook we'll put up we'll start a Facebook page and then boom like we started a company. That's literally what happened. Like we put it on Facebook. We woke up the next morning and we had a hundred and something people following us. The next two days after that, 500. Three days after that, you know, 5,000. Like, and it was the locals going like, what is And it's when's your whiskey coming out? Yeah. It was literally like, what is Chattanooga whiskey? This is really exciting. We want to try some. We were like, uh, we don't have a product. Then the media called and it just kind of steamrolled from there. We're like, we got to figure out how to product, put a product together. So you kind of started like prestige worldwide. Dude, <laughs> if, if there was one, if there was one thing I could model myself after, yeah. it would be Step Brothers. Correct. So, Correct. Yeah, yeah. It, it 100%. Was, this it, distillery has so much room for activity. Yeah. So, yeah. If we move this basement. over here, Mom, yeah. can we put the beds on yeah, top yeah. of each other? No, we'll have room power for, tools. We'll have room for a still right there. Very, very similar. And it just kind of was like we did an interview for the Times Street Press, and we were on the front page of the business section. I remember like it was yesterday walking into my dad's office. I worked for my dad. I remember walking into uh, his office and going, Dad, tomorrow you're going to see an article in the, in the newspaper about me and Joe starting a whiskey company. 
I just wanted to let you know because I didn't want you to be surprised by it. Did you have like a business license right now or no. like a, an LLC created or anything? Uh, I think like right before the article came out, we want like there was a local attorney that reached out to us. It was like, you guys need to start an LLC. Before right. You and maybe a trademark or yeah, something like yeah, that. Yeah. So, so we, we, were, we, had just, we were in the process of all that stuff. Right. I can't remember if we actually had it, but it was... When I say we were, I was just walking, trying to walk forward, at this point, I wasn't just trying to walk forward. I didn't know where <laughs> I was going. And so he kind of sat down. He's like, okay, all right. And I was like, you know, you probably know I wasn't gonna, I'm not going to take over the family business. I'm not going to be here for forever. And he's like, yeah, well, my, my dad was in ministry for 16 years in Chattanooga. So, you know, there was there were some uh, local politics there that we had to work through. But anyways. So that was the family business was ministry. It wasn't actually, it was manufacturing in Dalton, Georgia, but he was, but I was raised in a family where my dad was in ministry. Not, he started several local Christian nonprofits throughout my lifetime. Mine too. My dad was a pastor for years and now he owns a CPA firm. And I did the same exact thing as you. Like I walked in one day and was like, dad, by the way, there's going to, and I used to work for him. I worked for him and same thing, man. (laughs) That's cool. And my dad said to me, he said, this is so fitting because it's the dad drinking, you know. Pie. You, you like, said, "Dad, yeah. I'm gonna God, go this make is so knives." So fitting. My dad said to me, <laughs> "No, that's son, what he does. Awesome. My dad said to me, "Son, sometimes you gotta step off the ledge." And he's like, "Because you're not gonna know. You're just gonna stand there forever, and you don't want to go through life having not stepped off that ledge to see what happens." And he said. You come from a, a family of entrepreneurs. You're bright and smart enough that if this goes badly, you can reinvent yourself. You know, and so he instilled that confidence in he me. Was, he was supportive from the. From oh the yeah, and so was yeah. my so was my dad. My dad's and the been cats my number one in the cradle and so. the silver spoon. <laughs> Little boy blue, the man in the moon. Did we just so. become best friends. <laughs> yep. yep. Did you just touch my drums? I'm a drummer, so don't touch. Tim, my we're drums. in love. Don't touch. My, don't touch my drums. <laughs> we're in love. John, I think the Johns need to leave. Yeah, I think we should get out of yeah, here. Let's we're go. Drink whiskey in uh, my Subaru. <laughs> that was stolen. So can't let the Italians walk out of the room. It's not interesting anymore. No, but th- this is a, a great story. So you you go to your dad. You say there's about to be an article. Yep. We're we're going to take you to dinner. We're going to give you a presentation at our music video <laughs> of what what it I'm is. Be on your doing. sailboat. Yeah. What I what did is, wreck it. <laughs> I'm sorry. What did he say then you know because we know what jared said said yep. what your dad say He's, he he kind of sat down in his chair and he was like okay he's like yeah all right yeah well um okay this is uh this is interesting i'm uh i'm that's i'm i'm happy for you and it, it was just kind of a one day at a time thing and i said look i'm not going anywhere i'm gonna because i, I don't know what this is going to turn into but this could be a, a, a slow transition a fast transition i'm not really sure and he he probably wanted me off of his payroll to be honest with you. So um, it, I never no, thought it, about it, that. That's a great up, point. It ended up working out great, and it was about I say a six month transition. So the article comes out, and that was in November of two thousand and eleven because I remember it being eleven eleven, and then you know we just we we were full time that next year. So. The financing and this, how we all, we put it together was truly one foot in front of the other. We went to a family friend. We borrowed Mez debt. Uh, it was like fifty grand to buy MGP, and we at the time it was LDI, yeah. and there weren't many distilleries that were sourced like that were doing third party manufacturing. So I think we found like three or four that were doing third party manufacturing, and we had them all send us samples. And I remember. 
getting the samples, it was a cold winter night. I think Joe was in, uh, he had just moved up to D.C. for a little bit. So he was in D.C. and I was in Chattanooga and we both got the samples and we, and we tried them on the phone together. And we were like, this is the whiskey we want to start Chattanooga Whiskey on. Like, it's really good. And I think it was three years old at the time, like early threes. How many three-year barrels does $50,000 buy you at the time of MGP? So this is kind of crazy. If, if you know what the cost is of the raw goods of, of whiskey aging in a barrel right now, this would blow your mind. But at the time, they were, they were $500 a barrel. I just saw a list last week where two- and three-year rye and bourbon from MGP through a third-party source was mm-hmm. 1200 to 1500 So it's gone up almost three times since... And it, and it actually has normalized a little bit mm-hmm. in, in the last year. When I say normalized, maybe come back a little bit, not much. But yeah, like a three-year rye is going to go for like probably 1800 bucks a barrel right now right which is funny because it was even cheaper for some of the other folks that got in the game a little bit earlier they were getting them for 300 350 a barrel back then and then i mean they had gone up oh my god it went from 300 to 500 but now it's like jumped up even a thousand more i know when pinhook got theirs it was 350 a barrel that's insane yeah it has increased by, you know, three, four times minimum. And so, so you know, LDI was being bought out by MGP at this time. And they had, you know, just, I don't know, they had like 10,000 barrels of this recipe. So 75% corn, 21% rye, 4% melted barley was the recipe. The 50 grand was, there was some, you know, operating capital in that as well, right? It wasn't just, sure. the, it wasn't just the whiskey. But we had to launch it. So... This is kind of funny too. It, it, LDI now becoming MGP, they were requiring a minimum purchase of twenty barrels at a time. Seems reasonable. So that so we launched Chattanooga, Nashville, and Oxville, and then shortly thereafter, you know, Memphis and then Georgia and South Carolina. Those, so we operated in those three states only for a long time, and we launched those markets. I think it was uh, we got a we, you know we got our, our first purchase orders for like nine hundred cases, which primarily went to Chattanooga. And we sold out instantly. We had a big launch party. We had like 1,500 people show up to the launch party. It was awesome. Oh, that's the locals coming to bat right there. Yeah, man. Um, Dang. It was cool. And we were trying really hard to to be transparent and tell people that, hey, just FYI, this isn't made here because it would have taken a lot longer than this, you know. And that was a process in and of itself. From day one, we were transparent. But every day that we said, hey, just by the way... It's not made here. And so, you know, and we were finding out about the laws. And so we were trying to educate our fans, our, the local community on it, and change and start learning about the laws at the same time. But every time we were like, hey, we got to change laws because it's not made here, we'd have like one more local be like, what? It's not made here? I'm not drinking this anymore. <laughs> I mean, literally, we, we put ourselves out there and... Super transparent. Yeah, and, uh, and, and sometimes we get punished for it. Um, but I don't regret any of that because I think ultimately when we started the Vote Whiskey campaign, uh, it led to a lot larger community support and we would not have changed the laws without the community support. Where'd you store all those barrels? They stayed, the they stayed in Indiana. And let me tell you oh. something, this is what's crazy. So, you know, the 20 barrels at a time, we get a phone call from our guy, uh, Perry Ford. He's been a, uh, up there for forever. He's awesome. Perry, he's like, listen, Tim, there's a big buyer that is coming in and uh, MGP is motivated you know to sell inventory and so it includes your inventory 
and it's thousands of barrels and it's all it's all going to go like tomorrow and i'm like wait a minute so then we lose our our inventory and we don't have cheddar whiskey anymore 1816 like the day that starts it's done but if you bought it from them how could they sell it it's just a contract no, you no, didn't so pay no, them yet we have well, no we did pay for the 20 barrels but right. we were buying 20 barrels at a time so it was only getting us a few hundred cases at a right. time right so it sold out so we went back and bought 20 more barrels sold out we went back and bought 20 more barrels so on like the third time around, Perry calls me up and he's like, hey, we got a big buyer. The, the inventory's going to be gone. Um, I'm, I'm sorry to give you this news. You're going to end up having to probably source from somewhere else or we can put new distill away from you. And I'm like, well, that will put us out of business. Perry, I said, will you give me two weeks to come up with the financing to source as many barrels as we possibly can to give us a runway? And he said, well, let me talk to the, you know, let me talk to the powers and we'll come back to you. And they, they did. They gave us two weeks. And so we basically scrounged up from f- family friends $750,000. You got some good-ass family friends. We do. Yeah, you do. We Holy do. crap. But, yeah. dude, it was, it was mez debt. That's a lot of pastors. That's a lot of pastors donating yeah, yeah, some money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, they're taking collection Just here in Chattanooga. Right, no pastors yeah, here. We're, yeah, we're, right. we're all, yeah, we're all the, the second collection today is going to go to the good <laughs> to folks Chattanooga, <laughs> Chattanooga yeah, whiskey. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So we're going to pass the plate around again, everyone. That did not happen. It was there wasn't a lot of operating capital in that because we bought over twelve hundred barrels of uh, MGP of that recipe specifically at three years old. So now it's like, all right, we wrote our pro forma. We wrote our future. We have four years of inventory to grow the brand to X so that we can have enough cash flow to give us time to change the walls, build a distillery, age our product, and then come out with 100% Chattanooga made. And let me tell you, that did not happen. That was the plan. The plan was not executed. Well, I, what I was going to ask before, and, and I like where we've gone here, but you're like, well, shit, we're going to start a, a distillery. I don't know anything about starting a distillery. We're going to start a distillery. You get MGP. At what part did you have the parallel path? You knew you needed to change the law. You knew you needed to actually learn how to distill or, or get a distiller on staff. And that's going to take capital. That's yeah. going to take space. There's going to take, yeah. I mean, it sounds like it was a whirlwind, but where in that time did you start to think like, oh, we actually have to have a five-year plan and build out and say, because this place, I know I'm rambling, but this distillery, we are at the Riverside Distillery. Yeah. Not that many people get to come down here. Right. A lot of people go to the experimental distillery. Yeah. The facility here is amazing. I'm going to make sure I post pictures, but you guys have a column still. You have a pot still. You have. It's a, the a, nicest car dealership I've ever been to. <laughs> <laughs> and they, do, they give you more than water. Fair yeah, but it's one of the nicer craft distilleries in the state if you think about it Belmead is a very nice distillery you yeah. guys are a nice distillery leapers fork is a gorgeous distillery yeah. but this this is set up the way that you guys have your your sales area and your office area it's almost like tech company mixed with bourbon distillery in the way that you guys yeah. have your your office space it's an open office space there's collaboration whiteboards everywhere you can tell that there's all sorts of good things going on and people are constantly working and you're thinking about your brand and you're thinking about how you can you know what are you actually going to do to get out there I, that's one of the things i've loved about coming in here is seeing you guys work and and seeing what's going on behind yeah. the scenes yeah. 
when did you start thinking about that parallel path besides just, oh shit, we got whiskey. I, I didn't think we'd even get this far. Well, we got so deep into changing the laws that like it became our everything. The vote whiskey campaign. I didn't think about this, you know, the development of a distillery and what that would require for a long time. Long time being a couple of years at least because we got so into the vote whiskey campaign and it became it became our life. And then what actually was was uh, kind of crazy, and, and I could go into like the business side of this pretty deeply, which I'll spare you guys, unless people are really interested in it. I yeah. already wrote down a question earlier okay. when we were talking that I wanted to know if any of the big boys were lobbying against you to open a distillery in Tennessee. Because there's a couple of big boys in Tennessee that yeah. I would not think... Would want they you know they may not put up a huge fuss because a rising tide raises all boats kind of idea, yeah. but at the same time I think they would raise a stink. So there's a I'm not, I'm not gonna name names, but there was a um, so when we got into the law change and it just got deeper and deeper. Like finally, I mean we had we sought a, a Tennessee state a general attorney's uh, opinion here from Tennessee, and it didn't come back favorable, and that just meant more work for us, and so. But the town was just really getting behind us. And Do uh, any of the distilleries rhyme with nickel or back fanules <laughs> <laughs> that, that lobbied against you? They actually do not rhyme with either one of those. So what happened is um, we started, you know, we, we were started our lobbying process and then it became a state issue. Because back in 09, see a lot of people don't realize that back in 09. It was a county by county thing. There was a a representative from that municipality at the state level that said that if if they didn't stand up and say, I wanted this, it didn't happen. Yep. Right? That wasn't, that changed. That's what, so our law changed that. In 2013, what our bill said, House Bill 102, Senate Bill 129 said, if there is liquor, buy the drink, and package retail sales in that municipality, you can also get a license to distill. So it opened up the rest of the state. Huh. The, the, the other part of that is there were lots of amendments in, the, in, the, in those bills. And one of the amendments was the distance requirements, not for schools or churches. That was in there. And, and so yeah. that was a challenge in and of itself. But no, the distance requirements between distilleries was in there. So I'm not going to say you guys can figure this out. Which distilleries are really close to other distilleries? Think about that for a second. Mm-hmm. And those distilleries got in on this bill. But the guys that were already there, they may have been the ones that were lobbying against this. So it, we were trying to, to, we were forming new bills. We didn't want to go through a referendum because if we went through a referendum, it would have rolled us like a year and it would have killed it. Would have killed it yeah. right? It would have killed our momentum. It would have killed everything. We had a and referendums through through signatures, right? So like there was a distillery in, in Tennessee that hired dozens of people wearing bring whiskey back to Chattanooga shirts, going around and getting signatures to try pretending they were us to try and have this sent to a referendum. Dirty. Okay. <laughs> oh, interesting. Wait, so wait, they wait, did wait. the exact opposite of what I thought they would have done. They they, they pretended to support us in right. order to kill us. Right. That's yeah. insane. So you guys got through. Yeah. Like, oh, <laughs> the end of the day. What was right? that lawyer bill like? That's what we all want to know. Man, that kind of goes back to the local support. Now, there were, I know that there were other efforts in Tennessee between 09 and 13, even though the, the 09 and 13 bills were the two main bills. 
If you went to Representative Carr, who was behind 09 and 13, I think Carr would tell you that the 13 bill was a lot harder than the 09 bill. In fact, he said that to me. That was because 09, it was all brand new, right? It was new and it was mm-hmm. county by county or municipality by municipality. So a bunch of guys stood up and said, we don't want it. Or they didn't say they wanted it. Not a big deal. But in 13, it wasn't that, right? It was like, if there's liquor by the drink and there's package retail sales, you're getting it. If, if somebody comes in and says, oh yeah, good. I want to build, I want to build a distillery in this municipality. Too bad. Like, I mean, too bad representative that doesn't want it. Yeah. If this bill goes through then that municipality is a very good chance they're going to get a distillery, right? So it, there was a huge fight on the floor that ensued because of that, right? So it just became a very difficult bill. It was a dogfight, man, until the very end. So what happened was is when we started getting close to like the success of this bill actually going through, I was lining up investors. Because investors weren't going to put money in Chattanooga whiskey unless like, we could actually pull this off. Were they finding you or you were finding them? Actually, there was so much local momentum. That's this what is, I if thought. If I'm ever going to write a book that, yeah. about you know starting a distillery or starting a business in general, local this is a local, startup city, man. Local like, momentum is key, man. Right. And there was a lot of local momentum, and we were very fortunate to have that. But the vote whiskey campaign, we had like 40 articles in the newspaper. I mean, it was very closely followed locally. It's a, it almost reminds me of the Airbnb fight that people are having now. Where the the Airbnbs are, it's county by county, and and all that kind of stuff that that's going on. That yeah. it's interesting because every other county in Tennessee, except for Davidson County, kind of got something that was nice for the homeowners. Yeah, and then uh, all of a sudden, Davidson County was like, because of the tourism, it's like, oh wait, no, we're not we're not going to follow that. And right. I just moved. Yeah. Because I was smack dab in the middle of two Airbnbs. Yeah. I could only have strippers knocking on my door for so long thinking that I was my neighbor. But that's a story for another day. (laughs) I I was reading an article that John passed me, but you had my attention there for a minute. Well, no, we we literally had... We literally had strippers knock on our door thinking that we were a bachelorette party. And I go, well, you know, you're a good looking dude and all that, but I think you got to go over to that house <laughs> next door. That's how John and I met. Yep. Actually. Yeah, right, yeah. <laughs> Jared was there in a cowboy hat That's right. and leather chaps. <laughs> With a bottle of whiskey in his hand. So the you get these, path, in, right? yeah, parallel paths. So you get the investors and it's that bill that opened the door for you. And then how long was it? before because you had to find a distiller and your distiller is pretty damn good tell us a little bit about him well so here's what's crazy right it's like we were essentially you could call just the two founders right me and and joe like a marketing company we weren't really but that's what we were doing right Mm -hmm. when the rubber actually met the road and money came in it was go time and we had to go build a distillery that next year was very tumultuous and so, you know, Chattanooga whiskey's ups and downs over the last eight years it was very much roller coasterish, with loops and twists and turns. And uh, there was a year where 2014, before we built the experimental distillery, that I wasn't sure we were going to survive. Thanks to the to, again local support, awesome investor group, made of you know kind of friends and family here locally, they believed in us and it stayed alive. So then here's here's like we had this huge grand idea of building like a place like this like riverfront distillery first 
trying to go from zero to a million miles an hour, that's what that would have been like. And I think that would have killed us. Yeah. So I think we were really fortunate in hindsight to kind of be forced into a way smaller operation. And we had, you guys may or may not know this, but three or four times we had photos on the either front page of the business section or the Times Free Press that showed what the distillery was going to look like. It was a 50,000 square foot distillery with like all these people <laughs> walking around it. And we couldn't. Like, we just could not make it work. And eventually, because of 2014 and, and kind of the tumultuous times, it, it forced a reset button. And the reset button was basically me looking at the, the board and the shareholders and going, look, guys, I know you just want to see like that we can make whiskey for real. So let's just do something really modest and, and hopefully it's in a good location. Hopefully, pound for pound, it's a great experience and we can make some great whiskey. I can't promise anything other than that. So we built the experimental distillery, but right before we built it, you asked, how, how did I you know, learn distilling and yeah. this, this, you know, I didn't. I mean, I was thinking to myself, like, I'm not going to be, if, I'm, if, if we're gonna make a great whiskey, I'm not going to be the distiller. Larry Ebersold, the master distiller at LDI for a long time, he and I were chatting quite a bit and he said, Tim, if you're going to find a great distiller, you should probably look for a great brewer. And that's where I think we found the best in the world. And so Grant McCracken and I met through his buddy Brian Sprantz at uh, New Riff. And his dad, Ernie. His, his what? Have you ever seen the movie Kingpin? <laughs> <laughs> Ernie McCracken? Yeah, I've got it. I've, I, this comes up, actually. I've, I, you're an uh, idiot. No. <laughs> I, I've told you. I need, I need to watch that. I've told you always to call me Ernie or Big Ern. It's a great movie. Yeah. So yes, so we talk over the phone and I really like, we just connected over the phone really well. Super, super humble guy. And you have to like almost, you know, extract information. Like he's extremely knowledgeable, extremely bright. But in terms of like, hey, how good are you? He's not going to sit here and be like, oh, I'm the best. Like, you know, those words would never come out of his mouth. So I was like, you know what? We're going to, we connected well. So I'm going to get he and his wife and they had a baby boy at the time and uh, now they got two kids and they live here in Chattanooga, but I flew them down for a Brewers Festival here in uh, Chattanooga. We spent the weekend together, our wives hung out, and we just connected really well. And at the end of those three days or two days or whatever, we did a whiskey tasting together and I just, you know, said, dude, you're, you're a guy. Are you in? You know, and he was living in Boston at the time and he's like, I'm in. And we just made it work and... He started December of 2014. He started when we started building the experimental distillery. We built the experimental distillery in four or five months. We opened up the end of March of 2015. And this was when it was like, I had these really like large industry influencers, guys that own some pretty big brands that have been around for a long time. I just had become friends with because maybe they, they saw themselves kind of in my shoes when they were younger and they thought what we were doing was interesting. They were saying, Tim, when you build the distillery, make the recipe that you already are selling, just put as much away as possible. We did the opposite. Because mm. <laughs> Grant, Grant came in and was like, malt, man. It's like malt is where it's at, but we love bourbon. We've been bourbon. So that set us on the path of doing a new recipe every week. And we've been doing that for four and a half years. So then that set us to where we are today. So anyways, that's a, that's a lot, but no, I'm, I'm not the distiller. I think I've dealt or been in a little bit of your same shoes where 
What I want to know is what was it like to walk in to that boardroom or the meeting and sort of swallow your pride and say, hey, I think we need to show proof of concept first. Instead of building out the Subaru dealership that we're now sitting in, you need to build the smaller thing or whatever it is first and show a proof of concept like, yes, people locally, people across the United States will buy our product, but we need to actually do it before building this big, you know, really nice place that you're in here. Like, what was it like walking into that boardroom? So first of all, we were in survival mode. And after going through law change and just the amount of community support to just close up shop wasn't an option. And second of all, the relationships that I had with our with with my silent partners and shareholders was really solid. I think they trusted, they fully trusted me. And uh, the the picture that we painted, though on a much smaller scale, was still an exciting one. And it's like, hey, if this thing is going to move forward and survive, this seems like a pretty cool plan. Man, we just, even though it was really small we executed really well. I mean, if you look at our reviews of the experimental distillery, they're like none other. I mean, they're the best thing to do in Chattanooga and it's a 3,000 square foot distillery, you know? And, and then when we started putting whiskey away, even though it was white whiskey, mm-hmm. people were tasting it and going, it's really good white whiskey. We think it might turn into something much greater. You know, we said that, hey, the experimental distillery will, will have this many tourists and it'll do this much in revenue. And... It was one year, right? But it was the first year, but we, we hit all of our numbers. And for you know our partners, they're That's like- That's proof. That's proof yes, of concept. Proof was in the pudding. Okay. It and worked. then we stood around and said, are we going to try this again? Are we going to try the big daddy again? And, right. And uh, fortunately, everybody said it was worth it. And People skipped that step though. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. A lot of times people skip that step. You build the You big, mean the POC or or yeah, just the Yeah, they they skip the POC. They build the big gorgeous distillery and start having weddings in it and making vodka or whatever it is. And they skip that step of proof of concept to where they they're just throwing money at it, but like, is it going to work? And they don't do the grassroots like coming up to. Yeah. And I love that about well, you. Well, and I like, have I, to I love I, it. I have to ask Tim. Because you think of a lot of places that are out there, they're either going to source to keep the lights on or they're going to make clear liquid to keep the lights on or, or there's other things that are yep. going on. Yep. You guys were sourcing, but if you think about the story that you're just telling us, you had a limited amount of time we did. to actually get things done. You were yeah. like, this is how much stuff we bought. And then when you're getting into 2016, 2017, you're like, all right, we're not going to have that much MGP left. And so there is a, there is a driving force. Do you almost think it's the fact that you guys didn't have a net that drove you to be successful? And then what made you not decide to do any clear liquid on top? Was it, was it just one of those things where it's, we're married to whiskey. Whiskey is what we want to do. We don't want to get involved in this other stuff. Not that there's anything wrong with it, but like, was it, we're going to survive without a parachute, without a net. We have our plan. We got to stick to that. And then we're just going to move forward. So a couple things, first of all, we're called Chattanooga whiskey. We want to make the best whiskey in the world. We are so fortunate that we had the opportunity to build a smaller distillery. 
because without it, I don't think we would have the liquid we have here today in Cheddar Deer Whiskey 91 and 111. It's not that I don't think, I know we would not have the recipe in the liquid that is coming out now. That we take the hard, the hard road and we, mm. we, don't, we haven't done the things to create the cash flow from fast moving goods like gin or vodka, et cetera, because we want to make the best whiskey A and B. Sometimes it, seems, it feels like the path of most resistance, but it's focusing on a single product. And we, we've been through, before we started the experimental distillery, we were very unfocused. And being unfocused punished us. I didn't want to be unfocused anymore. So anyway. I, I see parallels, at least with us and the, the podcast, in the sense of it's never a quick play. You know, for us, it's, it's not something where... We want to rush out there and and everything we did was a slow play to the fact that we did Instagram videos before we even got the podcasting equipment. And it's like we figured out what our voice was. And then once we figured out what our voice was, it was like, all right, now it's time to start a podcast. And I feel like for you guys, it was, we don't know what the hell we're doing. We have this experimental distillery. We're going to figure out what our voice was. And that's what our, our Instagram was for us. And then once you figured it out, it's like, okay, now we can go ramp that. And, and that is what this Chattanooga 91 and Chattanooga 111 is. So let's get into that because oh, yeah, cool. you guys have been talking about MGP for a while. And we've been drinking this whole time, everybody. I know that that's <laughs> important for us to, to let you know as we've been sipping on this 91 and the 111. It is a Tennessee high malt. Mm-hmm. Let's talk about what that actually means first and foremost. Yep. Okay. So thanks to the experimental distillery and focusing on high malt recipes uh, and doing hundreds of them for the first two years of the experimental distillery, we put away over a hundred barrels of different high malt recipes. And when we built the riverfront distillery in 2017, the month leading up to opening Riverfront Distillery, our team here at Chattanooga Whiskey tasted through a hundred barrels of different high malt recipes. So we had already made our bed with high malt, no matter what. That's what we wanted to do. And that and was the first one that you guys actually released at the, the in August of 2017. Was batch 001 was uh, was Tennessee high malt. So it wasn't this recipe, though. We weren't just a traditional bourbon. A lot of people were saying you can't make bourbon here in Tennessee, so we had to answer that question all the time. Then, you know, people would say, well, then you're, are you, you're a Tennessee whiskey, right? No, we don't charcoal filter. Why don't you do the Lincoln County process? Because we don't want to do the Lincoln County process. Yeah, screw the Lincoln County we, process. Uh, we, like, we like the taste of uh, an unfiltered bourbon better. And we were doing high malt. We were doing, we were doing longer fermentations. We were doing a lot of things. We were putting a lot of effort into making a more complex high malt, you know, malt forward bourbon. So what is it? Well, it's authentically, genuinely made here in Southeast Tennessee, right? So of course we're going to celebrate that. And it is a straight bourbon whiskey, but it's not a Lincoln County processed whiskey. So Tennessee high malt, like that's, that's what it is. That's, that's what we came up with. That's who we are. And so we, uh, we coined and trademarked it and that's our own style of bourbon whiskey from Tennessee. It's called Tennessee high malt. It's four grains, of those four grains, three of the grains are select specialty malts. It's a seven-day fermented beer before it becomes whiskey. I mean, that's a long fermentation, twice the average fermentation. 
It's uh, distilled at 120 proof off the column. It's just, it, it goes into the barrel, at, or actually uh, it comes off of our, our pot at 135, which is pretty low. It goes into to retain flavor. It goes into the barrel at 115, also low to retain flavor. We use two different types of chars and a toast, our own toast profile, made at Independence Dave. And, and you talked about that on the tour. For somebody that said he didn't know a lot about distilling, you certainly know a whole hell of a lot about it now. You guys have a signature char and a signature toast method, which is the 91, right? Right, yes. Yeah. And and what actually goes into that? So it's a signature. So we use, before 91 enters the Solera barrel, it is aged, fully matured in both four char and three char, but it's the toast profile that is our own signature toast profile, which is profile 91. That is a 35-minute toast, and it kind of uh, it's like a slow-rising heat, and it has a peak at the end of it. And we believe that the complexity of both barrels together in the Solera barrel creates a really nicely rich and complex flavor. And that's what every step, right? The grain, the four grains, the three malts, the long fermentations, the low entry into the barrel, the um, the different you know toasts and chars, and then the toast. That toast profile creates a really nice confectionery note, we believe, in our whiskey. So we're just going after a richer, more complex whiskey. And I think it was stated when we were, you know, earlier when we were tasting, when you taste this next to a traditional bourbon, you're like, dude, this whiskey is so full of flavor. It's just bold and rich. And that's kind of the best way you can describe it. And that's what we think we all, you know, every step of the process, we get that bold richness and complexity out of it. And that is Tennessee High Malt to us. You have to do all that stuff to make Tennessee High Malt. You can't take any shortcuts. You said your fermentation is two times longer than anybody else. What's like the average fermentation and what does that allow you to do? What does that seven days allow you to come out with versus whatever else so average is going to be probably like three to four days to about six percent alcohol by volume before it goes into the still that's going to be over probably an an 85 degree or higher heat uh fermentation temperature so what happens is the hotter the yeast gets the harder it like the faster it produces alcohol the harder it works So it works itself into a frenzy, basically, and it dies off faster. The quicker that it dies off, the more esterification from the yeast that comes with that. Usually that's like a very like banana-y type flavor that comes from that. That's no bueno in my book. <laughs> Same. I don't drink bananas. Yeah, so I'm allergic, in fact. When you, you know, really? and with that kind of can can come an astringency as well. So what happens is is like it takes a long time for the barrel to cover that up. You know what I mean? Like now you're like, all right, we got three grains. It's it's mainly corn, you know, rye and a little bit of barley or corn, wheat and barley. It was a quick fermentation because we needed to turn that that fermenter over quickly, mm-hmm. right? Cuz that's the bottleneck in the operation. Sure. But, you know, three, four, five, six years later, guess what? Like, you're still tasting that esterification from the yeast in that. And the amount of work that we put into our recipe, we want that recipe to shine through. We want that recipe to marry up with the barrel really nicely and for you to taste the complexity of the grains out of the barrel. That's why we slow it down. We chill that yeast out so the yeast doesn't work as hard, mm-hmm. and it allows the complexity of the grains to shine through in the end so that you don't have as much esterification from the yeast. 
I don't think we actually touched on this, but Grant did come down from Boston. He was at a very famous beer company up there, which yeah. is near and dear to my heart, being a Bostonian and, and Sam Adams, because it's not typical for a whiskey company to actually yeah. do those things. Yeah. Are those things that Grant has kind of brought yep. over from beer? Yeah, 100%. Where he knows, okay, this needs a little bit of a longer fermentation. Yep. It's, it's a higher malt because I almost think even in Tennessee, right, you have H. Clark. A lot of his stuff is malty yep. because he was a beer brewer first and foremost and then got into the whiskey game. Yep. That malt and the longer fermentation, yep. all of that stuff is carried over from beer. Yep, it is. And I think whiskey traditionally has been as much or probably more about the barrel than it has been about the grains. And in beer, it's about the recipe, right? And so you cannot make great whiskey without making great beer first. And it costs money, and there's an expertise to focusing on the beer aspect of whiskey. And uh, just from day one of Grant you know, being here with Chatterjee Whiskey and starting the Experimental Distillery, we have focused on the beer first, we just never wanted to just rely on the barrel. Even though a barrel is critically important, don't get me wrong, it doesn't need to be 65% of the flavor profile. Yeah. I think about, I have a friend who's a brewer, and he said, whiskey's a little easier because it's so high proof that it's going to kill off all the other stuff. Beer's a, a hard thing to kind of master because anything can really get in there and mess it up just yeah. because it's not going to be as high proof and, and whiskey's going to kill it all. You know, all the bad stuff that tried to get in there. Whiskey's like, oh, you know what? Guess what? I'm 135 proof coming yeah. off the still. Yeah. Like you yeah. let John put his finger into the beer earlier today. Oh, everybody. Well, that was uh, the best part. Are the... you telling me everybody's I... fingers have been Actually, in that beer? Let me tell you something. That was a that was a fake fermentation. Uh, so don't don't tell him. <laughs> that was we, mother we, of God. Yeah, no, we didn't. We actually. I hope I was, you dumped it after. No, it John, John thinks he put it into the real product, but it, it was, did it taste like Quaker instant oatmeal. All it should have tasted like Hence was the malt. sweat because you were sweating <laughs> like a. I don't even know. Bob, what did you do over there? <laughs> okay. We do have Bob Little that is hanging out with us, and I think he just broke the table. This uh, is going to be the flagship, this Chattanooga Whiskey 91. Yes. This is it. This is, and John, I love, I love hearing you talk about this because you're passionate about it, but this 91 is the Solera aged, if you will, product that's coming out of here. And this Solera is... Freaking cool. You know what I thought we were going to do when we walked in there? What's that? I actually thought we were going to take a sauna. Yeah. <laughs> I thought we were going to take a sauna because this giant solar... That'd be the coolest looks... sauna I've ever, I've ever been in. I mean, there was a sauna... It was missing the rocks, like the, the hot rocks. Well, you just, you just didn't see them. You Did just you didn't get see in it? The rocks are on the inside. Yeah. Yeah, I got in it. You didn't get in it? <laughs> it's like a giant wooden barrel looking round it's, thing that looks like a sauna. It's yeah, awesome. It's really unique. It's one of, you know, we're one of the only people who do this type of Solera finishing process. Chattanooga Whiskey 91 is our new flagship product. It's a malt forward bourbon. And I am passionate about it because, you know, MGP and LDI make a great product. There's no doubt about that. They make incredible product. And as somebody who sourced a product at the very beginning, we had to make a better product than what they made for us. And like Tim has been saying, we've put a lot of time starting at the experimental distillery, you know, experimenting with different recipes, different grains, yeast strains, barrels, 
And finally, we settled with this product right here. I definitely am passionate because I do believe that what we have created here as the only Tennessee high malt whiskey is a better product. My goal as you know, the guy who's been a part since the ground floor and who heads up sales is I want to be the best sipping whiskey from Tennessee. I'm out in the market. I'm tasting people regularly from Tennessee, Georgia, South Carolina, Alabama, soon to be Florida. Our goal has been to grow deep. We didn't just want to open up 15, 20 states right away. We want to put feet on the street. We want to get people excited. We want to get liquid to lips. We want to tell them that this is a product that we've actually seen go from grain to glass versus going and sourcing a product. I've watched these these grains be offloaded from an 18-wheeler at our distillery. And how could I not be passionate about what we've created here? Chattanooga Whiskey 91 and Chattanooga Whiskey 111, we created these products to change the game. We've had a rule since I started with this company that says, rules are good, change them. And this is what we did. Yes, we're a straight bourbon whiskey. No, we're not a Tennessee whiskey. We are Tennessee high malt. I like how there was a Forbes article that came out recently that said you refuse to call your whiskey bourbon. But I just want to mention, and, and we don't have to go deep into no, we can this. Go but deep. No, no, no. I mean, I'm just looking at this self-guided tour part one, Tennessee high malt and cooking. So here it is, self-guided tour for me to come in here and look at Third question in the frequently asked question document, will Tennessee high malt be a straight bourbon? Yes, with an exclamation point. Absolutely. So I have debunked a Forbes article right now. (laughs) And and, uh, that's the the most I'll say about that. But I, I will say that I find it interesting, given the climate of Tennessee whiskey and, and a lot of the other things that are out there, there's a heavy wheat presence yeah. in mm-hmm. a lot of the stuff that's coming out. Pennington's yeah, sure. has a wheat whiskey that just came out, a Tennessee wheat whiskey. And you know we all know that Bellmead and, and Nelson's, their Nelson's Greenbrier is going back to a wheat whiskey profile. The only other high malted bourbon I have seen is Old Elk out of Colorado. Yeah. And Zeke and I have been all about that Old Elk. When we had it, we just said, this goes down super, super, super easy. And, and we should start talking about this 91 first because it goes down very, very easy. And I said, the nose, it's kind of like sweet tea with a big old squeeze of honey with some malt in there too. It's don't like, get much more Southern than that. No, it's a very <laughs> Southern profile, but it, it's a, a very sweet tea profile for me with the honey malt. And I'm surprised because it's 75% yellow corn, 12% malted rye, 7% caramel and 6% honey malt. And that honey malt really it's comes phenomenal. through. It's phenomenal. It's a four grain Tennessee high malt. There's so many different ways you guys straight can brand bourbon. this. Yeah. Straight, By the way, yeah. so, straight so, bourbon. Well, on the straight bourbon, the answer, the refuse part, straight bourbon whiskey is a TTB designation, right? right. Number one. Number two, so by definition, we are a straight bourbon whiskey, Correct. right? You meet the definition. Yeah, yeah. So number two, you've got a scotch section in the retail store. You've got a bourbon section. You've got a Tennessee whiskey section, right? Which Tennessee whiskey is usually with along with the bourbon. Cool. We can live in either bourbon or Tennessee whiskey, but if, pe- if we just go out there and it just says Tennessee high malt on the front... Retailers are probably going to end up, they're, going to be, they're just going to assume it's a scotch or something, right? So, or a single malt. American single malt An section. American single malt, and they're going to stick us in the single malt section. So 
That's why it says straight bourbon whiskey on it. How did you land on 91 proof? I've wondered this about so many Great different question. distilleries. Like, I get it. It speaks to the past. It brings ghosts from the past up to the future and, you know, all that crap. But, like, was the whiskey just as good at 90 proof or 100 proof? We kind of touched on this earlier. Yeah, it was, it was fate that we landed on barrel number 91 out of the experimental distillery. And, you know, Reser 1816 Reserve was always a 90 proof. And the fact that our favorite recipe to move forward was barrel number 91, we're like, well, we got so it. So moving it up one proof wasn't a big deal. No, you know what I mean? It no. wasn't a big deal. I feel like it it's their one. spinal tap moment. Yes. Like, but this one goes yes. to 11. Like, this is 90 proof. It's yeah. like, but this is one more. That's right. <laughs> That's right. Well, listen, you know, you guys know this, being bourbon connoisseurs. If it was barrel number 89... I mean, people in this industry would be like, what, 89 proof? Like, Hell's 89 no, I mean, proof. I've never seen that before. I mean, you know, yeah. you kind of, right now, you really, to have like a full flavored whiskey, kind of got to be over 90 proof. So we 90, wanted, 91 worked out. Full flavored whiskey is appropriate for what we tasted today, don't you think? It tastes heavier, like it's thicker yeah. than a 91 proof. It had some body to it, and that is, I think, what Pass malt can bring to it. We Sometimes. set out to make a richer, bolder, more complex bourbon than what's out there today. And there's just a whole bunch of malt that gets you on the first sip. Honey, chocolate. I said I can almost taste all of the different grains. And there are certain parts that hit you at a certain times. Oh, they got a good cork. <laughs> they got a good cork, though, baby. Yeah, I just made me. Well, no, that's what it's about. I do have yeah. to tell you, because Bob over there had one of their older corks. And I do have to tell you, because I did have a bottle like that, that cork sucked. Hold on, and we're going to listen to this thank cork. You. We're no, see. you can hardly even get that one out. I, oh, I got it out. I would always get it stuck in there. And thankfully, you moved to a new cork. Sure. Is this a lifestyle there's actually, there's a, a lifestyle and I, and I do want to touch on this. There's actually something really funny about the reason that we have a cork with our bourbon. And I, and I think it's important that Tim probably tells you that well, story. Well, we went from the wine cork yeah, the wine cork sucks. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Try being a bartender yeah, and say, using a corkscrew to, to get that bartender. thing out of the bottle. I mean, yeah, you got to remember. And, and I can tell you, because I loved, and it goes back to when I met you in Nashville all those years ago, I got one of the old wine cork cast drink yeah. bourbons. I would sit there and I'd be like, I like this bottle, but I don't go to it that much because it's a pain in the ass sure. to yeah, get yeah, it yeah, out. Sure, yeah. So the new cork is still a one-piece cork, and it was kind of like great. honors our history. It's right? our style so, too. No, it's you great because it's a full cork. It doesn't have that wood at the topper. It's all cork. Yeah. But at least I can pull the thing out without having to get a cork. Well, we just wanted to make you happy. Yeah, so that's all. This was. This it was yeah. for dad's. I'm sorry cork. I said it sucked, but no, no, no. I mean, no. We got a lot of pushback from the beginning, heading up sales for this company, trying to get bartenders if they're running out of a bottle and they're trying to make cocktails and they're busy as hell. They have to use a corkscrew. It was tough, but there's a reason that we had these wine corks originally, and it actually worked out to be a staple of our product. Bob's no over there saying, sorry, I caused so much controversy bringing okay, the old man. bottle. Just for the record, I did open this today without a corkscrew. We, we needed a corkscrew at first. Then we started to elevate the, the cork. The Bob Corker. That was actually, actually the, the name of our, our corking machine. Yeah. We called it the Bob Corker. He's a good friend of ours. <laughs> and I'm just going to say this. Makers has the, the red wax. Yeah. Chattanooga Whiskey has the cork. You don't see raw cork really. Other than a rum that comes to mind, a, a Kirk and Sweeney, they are the only other ones. Bib and Tucker is doing the cork. This is a part of who we are. 
this cork came at the very beginning, right when we started working with LDI, this cork was a part of the package. The only time I've seen this much cork was in Jared's bats when he was playing baseball. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And his golf and his driver. And I still couldn't hit my weight. Yep, we heard. By the way. So the I thought you were gonna say in the locker room. Uh, we're staying the night. Sure it was in his bat. I'll show you the cork <laughs> later, John. Uh, the cork was a funny story because we had set our launch party back in 2012, and the cork we had ordered was like five weeks behind. This just goes back into like, we didn't know what the hell we were doing. Startup you know? mode, so like, what are we going to do? Like, we get a phone call from our cork supplier, and we're like, they're going to be there in, uh, in in July. And we're like, yeah, but our... And you were our, like, our, quick, our, go to Total Wine. We're like, our, 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 our party. launch party is in April. <laughs> yeah. So uh, he goes, the, our cork supplier was like, well, you could stick a wine cork in it. And I was like, done, send me wine corks. And that's how we got that's started. That's how it started. There is some schmuck out there that's a wine cork salesman, isn't there? Like a cork salesman. There's lots, walks there's around. lots of... Uh, there's lots of cork. He's talking sales. about like the pithiness of a cork. Yeah. I love our cork. It's a part of our. I love our cork. I love all corks. Uh, shapes You're and like sizes. A big cork guy. I love all shapes and sizes. He's a big cork guy. Huge cork guy. Yeah. But, but you know, it's just a, a part of our package. And uh, of course. God. <laughs> what I'm trying to say is our package would not look nearly as good without the cork on top of it. No. What he's trying is, to say is that all corks are the same when the lights are out. Look. The, the cork was the, smaller, and you went to a much larger we cork. We did. And, you know, you can't have a package without a cork. Correct. <laughs> Correct. I'm leaving all of it this. It started here. small and got bigger. Yeah. What, he, what he's trying bigger. to say is, is over time, there was an enlargement. The cork was inadequate, and we enlarged to a bigger cork. Well, what, what, well, the problem is, is we had a hard time getting our hands around the cork. <laughs> Bartenders. Bartenders had a harder time, not what, you. What would actually doing? break inside the bottle at first. I mean, because it's thicker, too. It's, yeah. it's thicker yeah. and longer. Uh, and it's substantial. Yes, yeah. let's yes. talk about the whiskey there now. Yeah, okay. But it really was for bartenders. Like I said, it was. This is a much easier cork <laughs> enclosure. So the so bartenders the, loved the cork. And the ninety-one, which I'm holding a three-seven-five of three-seven-five. Yeah. That's awesome. That the ninety-one sense. is the Solera product, which we talked about. That looks like a yeah. Swedish Solera. sauna. Mm-hmm. Or is that where saunas are from? Sure. Okay. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, we'll go Norwegian. with Norwegian. Yeah, yeah, whatever. And and that's the Solera one, which I thought when we tasted it had the best nose. I thought it was fantastic. It's so, I hate this. I hate that I'm about to say this. It's okay. It's so approachable. Wow. Do you know what I'm saying? This I think over. approachable is important. Personally, I'm a big fan of the word approachable over yeah. the, over the word smooth. Sure. I think if they kind of go hand in hand, so right. I, I think approachable does mean like when you first take a sip of this. Do you have to take two or three more sips to warm up to it? Or the first sip you take, you're right. like, oh, I can drink that. Palette warms, warms up immediately. Yes. Like you told oh. me earlier, it's dangerous. It's so nice. It's so good. But it has like, it drinks a little bit hotter than 91 proof, I think. It doesn't drink hotter than 91 to me. It drinks bolder. It's got to be the rye. And it's it's got to be richer. the rye that has more kick. I said it's a light tingle on my lips, but nothing crazy. It's just enough to let you know it's there. Yeah. It's like when you went to go kiss a girl and, and she didn't really get into it. Like she just gave you enough. Like she gave you the peck. It wasn't like a deep kiss. What? That's, the when, hell? You, that's when you uncork the 111. It wasn't a huge tingle. It was just like a nice uh, little. Did well, you when you bite, guys, did you bite the, the cork? No, I'm not talking about the cork. I'm talking oh. about the rye, the rye content. <laughs> oh. When we busted out that bottle of 1816 Reserve mm-hmm. and passed it around, mm-hmm. 
your first words were and listen there's there is 10 year ldi in that right it's a combination of three years tell them what i said right tell them what i said you said that you felt like 91 and 111 were flavor bombs compared to reserve and that reserve almost you didn't use the word tasted almost flat but it's a bland bland yeah you said it and i'm an mgp whore yeah, and we've been admittedly in eight in that eighteen sixteen reserve won double gold in San Francisco two years ago. Don't get me started on that. Yeah, we're, I hear you. I'm just saying. I, I yeah, you and I could both get started on that. Right, I'm, I'm with just you. saying. I'm with you. It's it did, and well, maybe that doesn't mean anything, but still, it is. Uh, it's been a really good seller for Chattanooga whiskey. It's mm-hmm. been our bread and butter for a long time. And when you taste them side by side, you said. One is way more flavorful than the other, and that is what we're after. But you guys have done a good job. This is coming in at thirty bucks. The MSRP is going to be around thirty, whether yep. or not that's thirty-five on or, the high end. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. In a range. Yep. For a thirty-dollar pour to have that much flavor, and I don't even like to say smooth or approachable. It's just crushable. It's one of those ones where you have a pour and then you have another pour of it. Yep. It's one of those ones where you sit there and all of a sudden you're looking and you're like, shit, I just drank through a third of the bottle. Or like you're sitting around with your friends. And if you sit around with your friends on a night, that thing's going to be gone easy. This is for the whiskey drinker who is just getting into it and the whiskey enthusiast. I think there's enough flavor for the enthusiast. We wanted to appeal to the masses with these products. It's going to change. And we had this discussion earlier. Like It's going to change a little bit because every time you pull off eight to 10 barrels off of that, out of that Solera, Mm -hmm. you're going to refill it with Mm -hmm. something else. So never goes empty. It never goes empty. And whatever's going into that thing, because it's going to all be based on demand, it could potentially get older. It probably will get older. It will get older because of how much you're making yep. every day it'll get older and older so like to me that solera is just gonna get it's already fine and solid it's already flavor bomb like i said earlier but it's gonna get better and better and better most likely as you go and i think that's fun i think that's awesome it's I, unique I, yeah. it's 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 our style actually grant would be really happy to hear you say that because the appreciating the evolution of a product we are just really proud of what we make, and it doesn't mean that you have to love it. We're still really proud of it. And I think that our team can stand here today and say that we don't think we could have come out with a better product, and it will change over time, and we're excited about how it's going to evolve. It was the same as you know the, the 1816. We, we sourced it at around three and a half years old. That product got all the way up to 10. We don't just want to bottle everything you know, once it becomes a straight bourbon whiskey or a bourbon whiskey. We want to let these products mature. We want to let them evolve. And we truly believe that what we have right here is a quality product, but it's only going to continue to get better. One other thing, like in terms of transparency in the industry, you know, we're, we're, we're wanting to be as, as transparent as anyone or, or more. I mean, like ask us anything online, in person, whatever. What's your social security number? <laughs> well, I can tell you that it's got a four in it. All right. So <laughs> me too. Uh, me too. God, we are such, man, we are such man. best friends. I yes. don't, I don't have a four in mine. Whoa. Well, you're out. See so ya. yeah. You go play with your cork over there, and but we're gonna. But here's the thing, right? Like the stuff, like liquid, it changes for a lot of people, but they don't want to talk about the change, right? Mm-hmm. People know it when you pull a nine off the bottle or a twelve off the bottle, right? Then oh, yep. you're like, you know, it's changing, mm-hmm. but they don't talk about the change. Celebrate the change. Whiskey, 
is an evolution. It's changing all the time. It's in a barrel. It's in a natural environment. Like it's going to change. Talking about the the one eleven, we're all kind Love of it. in agreement. The the ninety one is damn good. Bob, what do you think over there? You like the ninety one? Yeah. Uh, I, I was going to step in. Hey, Bob. Hey. <laughs> I was going to leave the bourbon connoisseur to uh, John and Jared over here, but. You know, I had both of these in a glass in front of me. The, the 91. That was a good save. Great save. And, and the 111. And I'm sitting here going back and forth. The 91 is standing up to the 111. The, the flavors aren't muted from the 111 to the 91. The flavors in the 91 are a little bit different. Yep. Not as vanilla forward as the 111 was. Yep. But, I mean, it's a little different. And it, it's round for round, sip for sip. And it, you can go back and forth. It's awesome. And from a normal guy walking down... Looking on the shelf, you've got one product at 111. Yeah, it's 10 bucks more, one at 91. Typically, I'm the kind of guy that's going to go for the 111. I'll spend the extra 10 bucks. Yeah. But man, I'm being honest, that, that 91 holds up great. Awesome. And I think yeah. that's a point I was going to bring up, but I wanted to ask before you got into it. Yeah. Why did you call it 111? Was it just because of the proof or was it the 111th barrel? No, yeah. No, Good so uh, so the 111, uh, we were at 113.6 proof. First of all, that, I know. that was an arbitrary number. It's not exactly easy to remember. It's 113.6. It has a .6 on it. it was and I love your stickers that made fun of marathon stickers <laughs> that, yeah. you know, was 113.6. We just won't have the, the decimal point on it. Um, the 111 was, a, was, we felt like, an approachable cast strength product. Uh, also, here's the thing. LDI, MGP, they, they barrel at uh, over 120. I think it may be 125. We barrel at 115. I mean, to try and consistently hit 113.6 proof just wasn't going to happen. So we wanted to get something as close as possible. And we thought 111 had a really nice ring to it. Happens to be the highway that connects Chattanooga Whiskey to our cornfields up in uh, Riddleton, Tennessee, which is kind of cool. John, that was a great job marketing. <laughs> I, I was saying that a little slow. That was a great job marketing. Thank you. So <laughs> I, I, Bob. Bob hit the nail on the head. I think he did, Bob too. Bob hit the nail on the head. Yeah. And he and I both think that actually the nose on the 91, just sniffing it, the nose on the 91 is well-rounded. I really like the nose on the 91. Thank it's you. awesome. I think the 111 comes in a little bit young. It smells more corn. You know what I mean? It comes, it comes in like that. But the Solera kind of, and maybe it's The just, cask isn't Solera finished. Only the 91 is Solera That's what finished. I was saying. The yeah. Solera might pull some of that out. Sure. Or maybe it's just the proof that kind of pulls some of that out. I don't know what it is. But I love the nose on the 91. But I actually like the flavor profile of the 111. Awesome. And we mixed them. Sure. And I think Bob's with me. I'm with you too. I said for the nose on the 111, I said the nose is citrus and butterscotch. Mm -hmm. And that citrus is a youthful citrus. Like that's the thing that I think that, that always kind of smells young to me. But the taste is like dark fruit, chocolate, Chocolate all that kind of stuff. And it's like, I love the taste of that 111 with the nose and the finish of the 91, even though I think the 91 is still bold and has great flavor and I still got honey, chocolate, all that, but the proof of the 111, I like to be able to have one or two. Like I like to sip it and not go through a third of a bottle and and kind of look back at it. You're going to gravitate towards 111 for that reason? I'm going to gravitate towards a higher proof, but I also need a 91 proof. Like if I'm working late or I'm doing something like that, like I'm editing... I'm, I don't want to be sipping 120 proof whiskey yeah. or, or um, it creeps up on you. Yeah. And then you're like, 
crap, I, I had three when I should have had two, and now yeah. I can't yeah. concentrate. It's yeah. like 91 is nice for yeah. just It's the everyday kinda, sipper. Yeah. That's kind of how I... And, and being out in the market, what's so great about these products is... 1816, the source product, a lot of people would gravitate to the cast because it was the higher proof, bolder flavors. What's been so cool to see is that with Chattanooga Whiskey 91 and Chattanooga Whiskey 111, it's 50-50. People love both of the products. There's not one that really stands out more than you know, the, the other one. That, in my book, is, is a success. You know, we have, we've, we're introducing two products that are approachable to the cast strength drinker and to the everyday sipper. I'm really excited to get these out in the market here in the next week or two to, to start showing people why. Don't be afraid to mix them together. Yeah, sure. That's, sure. Uh, so it, that means you have to buy them both. You yes, have to exactly. buy yeah, them both. Yeah, yeah. Correct. But if you mix it together, you guys should try doing it since you have them both there. I've done everything with these products. We've mixed he, them. Tim we, said he didn't. Tim oh, said well, he doesn't. I like the sound but of I'm, that. Well, I've had... I don't know. I've had a million different... Experiment with him right there. Pour him half and half. Cool. I like the sound of that. Let me just do that one more time. My my wedding ring. Yep. <laughs> bottle pop. Oh, God. Wow. You, you do have good corks for bottle pops. Thank you. So Sweet mother of God. So, Tim, this you were saying something. I well, cut you off. You really poured a lot I, in that thing, and now you... This, this is, is communion right here now. This That's what communion. it is. We're all yeah. going to pass this around. And we're all friends here. It's Tim, fine. why don't you start us off since you've never tried it before? Mi- mm-hmm. Mix it up a little bit first. I've never, I've never had Chattanooga You've never had uh, the, the company that you started as whiskey before. So when it comes to... Do like you know lot, what a high malt is? Actually, will you tell me what it is? <laughs> I want to hear from you. It, it's something you, that you, you guys you made. You, yeah. It, it's is that considered IP. a high rye? What's the percentage no. you have? Is that considered no. a high rise? Is it considered a low rye? 12%? That's here's a low thing. rye, right? Well, here's the thing, right? Like, generally, over a 20% rye would typically be a high rye. Right. But none of that's malted. And in our case... Exactly. That's what's uh, weird. In our case, a 12%... Tastes high rye. ...is malted. So it right. tastes high rye. I'll say this. You said you got a Me? decent amount of corn off of 111. I don't get corn out of any of our products. That's, I mean, and that's what I love. I love the debate. It's awesome. The differences of opinions. That's what I love about the malt for me is that the malt is so powerful that it tends to create a, the complexity and richness creates a balance and doesn't allow like a, when I have a a high corn whiskey, I'm not a fan of high corn whiskeys. The corn is on the nose. The corn is on the nose, right? That's uh, maybe I didn't make that clear. That was where I thought yeah. you got the corn from when you smelled it. When you taste it, though, all you get is a rye bomb. It, I don't understand how that's only twelve percent rye, yeah. but it tastes like a high rye it's bourbon. The power of malt. I'm in. Here's the thing: like one of the reasons I really appreciate, I really appreciate you guys taking the time to come here. Oh, you're welcome. There's a lot of cons- <laughs> there's a lot of consumer education that's going to have to happen, right? Yeah, because it's not scotch. When I read malt, I think scotch, and it's not scotch. Right. You guys are are here with us in the very beginning. We haven't even launched the product. Helping us get the word out about what the hell Tennessee high malt means, and that it is a bourbon, but it is a malt-forward bourbon from Tennessee. This is awesome. And I think um, Stranahan's... Oh, you like, you like the combination, uh, do. don't you? You guys, it's like you, you like the combination. Okay. And you just turned me on to, you know, it's all, it's, it's pretty the easy. The new 101 is pretty easy to or turn what's me the on. I know, that comes up. 
hey, the new 101 is going to be coming out next fall. Yeah. It is the, uh, it's the, dad's, signi- the dad's drinking bourbon yeah. signature blend. Yeah, it's incredible. the dad's drinking bourbon reserve uh, Tennessee high malt. There's already a 101 out there, man. It, r- it rhymes with tiled working. Hey, you, you've, already, <laughs> you've already fought some uphill battles. What's one more? Heard that. You'd be fine. Call it dad stash. Is that a reference to the s- depends the mustache? Which stash. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like no. Zeke's mustache? No, Zeke doesn't have a mustache anymore. Remember last time we hung out, I had a mustache? You did. And we wore the same shirt and hat? We went on a pick. Jared and I went to Wild Turkey, and we did a Russell's Reserve pick, yeah. and we wore the same outfit. So what we did is we wore the, the diapers, bottles, bourbon shirt, but then we both wore Boot Hill Blades hats. Wow. So it was one from each of us, right? And I must we call Tim to make sure he wasn't going to wear the same thing that I wore today because these Chattanooga whiskey shirts that I wear regularly. That you don't have in fat guy size. We're working on it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say the future is looking amazingly bright for Chattanooga whiskey. And so we've gone very, very long. This will probably be about an hour and 20 minute episode yes, when long. all said and done. It's okay though, because I think it was a great conversation. Is there anything you want to say? before we go ahead and close out a few things hey it's been fun hanging out with you guys super thank fun you. thank you guys you guys are awesome let's hang out more i'm sorry we haven't hung out more i'm sorry it's my fault no, too it's, my fault. it's john's fault it's, it's not you it's me it's him it's both your faults i don't work okay fine. just text that to me it's not it's not you it's me yeah. it's a good breakup there's plenty of other distilleries out there <laughs> yeah. that and i know that you're gonna it's me i know you're gonna find a podcast that really you'll uh, have a hard time replacing us as friends there's (laughs) there's a lot of podcasts that will treat you right unfortunately i'm not in that right mindset right now i can promise you one thing none of them will have corks like us i have to work on me before i can work on you god you've got a huge cork (laughs) (laughs) that we actually do You've seen it. Jared's going to make a new so, cork podcast. Yeah, right. <laughs> Number two, Chad Whiskey 91 and 111 are coming out. It's replacing 1816 Reserve and 1816 Cask. We can sit here and say how much we love it and how great it is. But John and I will tell each and every one of you listening to just go try it for yourself. Like, you be the judge. Do a blind taste test. Have fun with it, right? Like, a lot of people are scared to do blind taste tests because they kind of know what they like and they don't want to challenge that, right? You've been drinking the no. same thing for 20, 30 years. You, oh, I, like, I don't want to challenge what I'm drinking. We're right now challenging you. Just go try it and do a blind taste test. It's really fun. Blind taste tests are fun. That's what we built our whole podcast off of. Yeah, uh, awesome. was was blind yeah. tasting, and that's the way that you kind of figure out what you really. I'm like. I'm still and interested in potentially blind taste testing you guys before we get out of here. Not necessarily on the podcast, but I would like to blind you guys on some things if we I, have that time. We talk on blind corks. That's up to you. We are more than happy to do whatever. Cool. So, so yeah, other than that. And at $30 for the 91 and $40 for the cask, you know that bar prices are not going to be astronomical yeah. on these. And go to a bar. Go to your bartender. Say, I want to try it. If it's more than a $10 pour, he's ripping you off. Let me say this. In terms of John said, you know, change, talked about our kind of internal model of changing the rules, talking about approachability. There's one thing that a lot of people don't talk about in terms of approachability, and that is just what you're getting at the value, right? What you're getting for the price. The amount that we're putting into this, I'm going to make up some bullshit number and say that 99% of other distilleries or, or brand owners would be coming out at a 
50, 60, $70 price Easily. point on this Easily. stuff, right? We're coming out at a $30 price point in 91 because we like a value. Like, we want you to be like, man, I feel like I am getting an awesome value with Chattanooga whiskey, right? Does that mean that we're kind of taking one on the chin a little bit from a cost perspective? Yeah, we are because we put a lot into these things. Malted grains versus regular raw grains, you know, when you look at the cost of goods there, there's a, there's a pretty big difference, but... We want to be game. approachable. We want to be for the everyday drinker. Yeah, that can we afford do. It. We want to appeal to the masses. Like we do care about appealing to the masses. I don't want to sit here and be like, if you don't love bourbon, you shouldn't drink our product. No, like that's not who we are right? at all. We wouldn't yeah. become best friends today it's if, that's, if that's who we were. You're right. No, and it's you're like right. you're making money, but you're not making as much money as you could have. Sure. Don't get me wrong. I mean, the goal is still to make money and the goal is to have a profit, but Bernie Lubbers from Heaven Hill would say all the time, he goes, it's a whiskey business. It's not a whiskey charity. And I, I said to him, Bernie, I get that. But there are really good brands out there like Pinhook puts out a great bourbon and their cast strength bourbon is 50 bucks. Their, their regular bourbon is 30 bucks. And you think about brands that are doing that. I almost think as a state, Tennessee does a very good job at putting out decent to very, very good whiskey at a decent to very, very good price where it's not one of those things where people are out there trying to like, okay, look at my $300 whiskey. It's yeah. what's something that the masses can drink. Yeah. And the word approachable, when I hear approachable, it's the novice can drink it to your friend down the street can drink it to the guy who's in all the different bourbon groups on Facebook is going to drink it and still get flavor out of it. Yeah. And the majority of people that buy whiskey or go to a liquor store, they're not Jared and I, Yeah, you know, they're not Bob, Jared and I, sure. it, it's the majority of the people that keep you all in business are not the folks like us that are nerds. It's the people that are going to the liquor store and 100%. they're having a party and they're buying Tito's vodka and they're picking up some whiskey with it. And that's what they're doing. It's, like, easy, yeah. it's, it's easy, you know, as people in the industry to get hung up on what you see on social media, right? Yeah. And, yeah. Be, and be like, mm-hmm. 10-year MGP is a hot thing, so we got to be selling 10-year MGP. Like, that's, you know, that's It's like, great, we could sell one barrel to a private group, (laughs) and then what are we going to do from there? Exactly, and that's just not what we're focused on. This belongs on the shelf. Like, it belongs on the shelf. Thank you. Next to everything else that we have, it's going to be in the rotation as we're drinking things and just, you know, having nightly pours or whatever. It belongs on the shelf for sure, and I can't wait to see where it goes in the future because... I think the time and energy and money you've put into the distillate itself will shine given more time yep. too. So, I mean, it's already it's already good stuff. It'll hold up, not just sipping in cocktails. I think it would be awesome too. Yeah. No one else is doing a seven-day fermentation. No, I, I, not that I, I know of. I'm not going to say no one, but like... No one that I know of. We're, yeah. we're pretty... We're in the vast minority. We are taking our time to provide a quality product. Seven-day fermentations provide a very rich, quality, complex product. I heard so, Grant came in like the ring and he was like, seven days, seven days. <laughs> that's, that's our guy. Yeah. I mean, he's, he is the man. And without Grant, without our experimental distillery, to be able to put away a hundred barrels of different recipes and all of us as a company settle on barrel 91 and it just turns out to be the Tennessee high malt recipe, the category, the style that we have created on our own, 
it's pretty badass to see that graduate to this facility where we have the capacity to put away 14 barrels a day here. We're putting away seven. We have additional room to add more fermenters. But the Tennessee high malt recipe, we want to be the best sipping whiskey from Tennessee. I and like I, I feel like I'm sitting in a general sales meeting right now. And let me, me tell you guys too, something else and here. I'm sold. <laughs> and I'm sold. He's my hot that's, guy. That's dude. why they hired me to so, the head of sales for the He's getting better looking as he talks, Thank too. You. Thank or you. as I drink. It's, yeah, it's definitely yeah. as you drink, because I'm looking at this bottle that's been in front of me. And it's, so uh, to close this out, though, to close this out, I was I was sitting here thinking, I mean, John just got married last year. Yep. Thank God. Thank God. What the hell does that mean? <laughs> Steps, settling down. Yeah, settling down. Have, have you thought about a minivan? Because if you five in the back, if, if you have to, does Subaru make a minivan? Not yet. If you have does to, BMW. Move, no, no. BMW doesn't have a minivan, but he could get himself a nice Kia or Toyota Sorento, baby. And uh, I have a Dodge Grand Caravan. Wow. You know you what know I gotta say? Because I'm a dad drinking bourbon. Yeah, you are, and but, I am not a dad. But I have I to say, you might be. You might be one day. They have the screens in the back where you could oh, actually yeah. sit down and watch a movie. So when you guys are going on sales things and you have everybody in your van, and then uh, you can get a whole bunch of whiskey in the back, you could get people watching movies. Hundred percent. Maybe think about a minivan. You are <laughs> preaching practicality to the wrong person. Well, no, but you know what I'm saying. Like, <laughs> you gotta remember <laughs> when you're when you show up to a liquor store or or a distributor and you show up in a minivan, you gotta think about that. Like they're gonna they're gonna look at you a different way. They're gonna. I park the BMW behind the building and I walk around with a limp. But I'm saying, if you show up with a minivan, they're going to think you're a dad. And they're going to be like, here's this guy. He's married. I see the ring. He's probably a dad. He's probably a great dad. Or the looks like a nice guy. Creepy as hell is what more like more likely. Well, no, that's only if he puts a a 50 50 chance. That's only if he puts a unicorn on the side of the van and it has a mirror. I put eyelashes on my headlights uh, of my BMW, and just retailers love it. Where can the folks find Chattanooga Whiskey? Where can so Chattanooga Whiskey ninety one and Chattanooga Whiskey one eleven can be found in Tennessee, Georgia, South Carolina, and Alabama. As of September, we're opening up Florida. Like I said, we've been very strategic about where we've gone. We have made sure that we're not just going to open a market and just bank on you know pumping money into you know to marketing and PR. We put feet on the street. I think that's what's made us successful at this game is that we don't just open a market without putting constant people in those markets. Yeah, Tennessee, Georgia, South Carolina, Alabama, and starting September 1st, the whole state of Florida. And they can find you on the interwebs at Chat Whiskey on Instagram, uh, same on Twitter. Yep. Go check out ChatternigaWhiskey.com or ChatWhiskey.com. We have a new website. We have a lot more information on our products. You can run through all of our experimentals we've done. You can see our places. Yeah, and go follow us on social media at Chat Whiskey. Jared, you can find him at Boot Hill Blades on Instagram. Jared, thank you so much Do for coming. Do not DM me. Okay. Do not slip into my DMs. That's weird. <laughs> yeah, he d- Jared does have a very long waiting list to get his knives. Please reach out to him on his website if you would like a knife. Please go ahead and uh, send your pics of your cork 
to Jared at Boot Hill Blades. Slide so, into his DMs with your favorite pick of your cork. Hashtag no corks. <laughs> Hashtag big corks. Guys, thank you so much thank for you joining guys. us. Thank you, guys. You can find Dad Shrinking Bourbon at Dad Shrinking Bourbon on Instagram, Dad Shrinking Bourbon on Facebook, Twitter at Bourbon Dads. Please go ahead and join our Facebook group, answer a couple of questions. We'd love to get you in. Also, find us on your favorite podcast app, Apple, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, whatever it is. We are on it. Please leave us an open and honest review, just like we openly and honestly review any of the whiskey we drink. Cheers!